Section 30, Vespasian, Part 1, of The Lives of the Twelve Caesars, by Gaius Suetonius Tranquillus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Icy Jumbo. The Lives of the Twelve Caesars, by Gaius Suetonius Tranquillus. Translated by Alexander Thompson and edited by T. Forrester. Vespasian, Part 1, Paragraphs 1 to 7. The empire, which had long been thrown into a disturbed and unsettled state by the rebellion and violent death of its last three rulers, was at length restored to peace and security by the Flavian family, whose descent was indeed obscure and which boasted no ancestral honours but the public had no cause to regret its elevation, though it is acknowledged that Domitian met with the just reward of his avarice and cruelty. Titus Flavius Petro, a townsman of Reate, whether a centurion or an evocatus of Pompey's party in the civil war is uncertain, fled out of the battle of Pharsalia and went home, where, having at last obtained his pardon and discharge, he became a collector of the money raised by public sales in the way of auction. His son, surnamed Sabinus, was never engaged in the military service, though some say he was a centurion of the first order, and others that whilst he held that rank he was discharged on account of his bad state of health. This Sabinus, I say, was a publican, and received the tax of the fortieth penny in Asia. And there were remaining, at the time of the advancement of the family, several statues which had been erected to him by the cities of that province with this inscription, To the Honest Tax-Farmer. He afterwards turned usurer amongst the Helvetii, and there died, leaving behind him his wife, Vespasia Polla, and two sons by her, the elder of whom, Sabinus, came to be prefect of the city, and the younger, Vespasian, to be emperor. Polla, descended of a good family, at Nursia, had for her father Vespasius Pollio, thrice-appointed military tribune, and at last prefect of the camp, and her brother was a senator of Praetorian dignity. There is to this day, about six miles from Nursia, on the road to Spoletum, a place on the summit of a hill called Vespasii, where are several monuments of the Vespasii, a sufficient proof of the splendour and antiquity of the family. I will not deny that some have pretended to say that Petro's father was a native of Gallia Transpadana, whose employment was to hire workpeople who used to emigrate every year from the country of the Umbria into that of the Sabines, to assist them in their husbandry, but who settled at last in the town of Reate, and there married. But of this I have not been able to discover the least proof upon the strictest inquiry. Vespasian was born in the country of the Sabines, beyond Reate, in a little country seat called Falacrine, upon the 5th of the Calends of December, 27th of November, in the evening, in the consulship of Quintus Sulpicius Camerinus and Caius Poppius Sabinus, five years before the death of Augustus, and was educated under the care of Tertulla, his grandmother by the father's side, upon an estate belonging to the family at Cosa. After his advancement to the empire, he used frequently to visit the place where he had spent his infancy, and the villa was continued in the same condition, that he might see everything about him just as he had been used to do. 
and he had so great a regard for the memory of his grandmother that, upon solemn occasions and festival days, he constantly drank out of a silver cup which she had been accustomed to use. After assuming the manly habit, he had a long time a distaste for the senatorian toga, though his brother had obtained it, nor could he be persuaded by any one but his mother to sue for that badge of honour. She at length drove him to it, more by taunts and reproaches than by her entreaties and authority, calling him now and then, by way of reproach, his brother's footman. He served as military tribune in Thrace. When made quaestor, the province of Crete and Cyrene fell to him by lot. He was candidate for the aedileship, and soon after for the praetorship, but met with a repulse in the former case, though at last, with much difficulty, he came in sixth on the poll-books. But the office of praetor he carried upon his first canvas, standing amongst the highest at the poll. Being incensed against the senate, and desirous to gain, by all possible means, the good graces of Caius, he obtained leave to exhibit extraordinary games for the emperor's victory in Germany, and advised them to increase the punishment of the conspirators against his life by exposing their corpses unburied. He likewise gave him thanks in that august assembly for the honour of being admitted to his table. Meanwhile he married Flavia Domitilla, who had formerly been the mistress of Statilius Capella, a Roman knight of Sobrata in Africa, who, Domitilla, enjoyed Latin rites, and was soon after declared fully and freely a citizen of Rome, on a trial before the court of recovery, brought by her father Flavius Liberalis, a native of Ferentum, but no more than secretary to a quaestor. By her he had the following children, Titus, Domitian, and Domitilla. He outlived his wife and daughter, and lost them both before he became emperor. After the death of his wife, he renewed his union with his former concubine Cynis, the freedwoman of Antonia, and also her amanuensis, and treated her, even after he was emperor, almost as if she had been his lawful wife. In the reign of Claudius, by the interest of Narcissus, he was sent to Germany in command of a legion, whence being removed into Britain, he engaged the enemy in thirty several battles. He reduced under subjection to the Romans two very powerful tribes, and above twenty great towns, with the Isle of Wight, which lies close to the coast of Britain, partly under the command of Aulus Plautius, the consular lieutenant, and partly under Claudius himself. For this success he received the triumphal ornaments, and in a short time after two priesthoods, besides the consulship, which he held during the last two months of the year. The interval between that and his proconsulship he spent in leisure and retirement, for fear of Agrippina, who still held great sway over her son, and hated all the friends of Narcissus, who was then dead. Afterwards he got by lot the province of Africa, which he governed with great reputation, excepting that once, in an insurrection at Adramitum, he was pelted with turnips. It is certain that he returned thence nothing richer, for his credit was so low that he was obliged to mortgage his whole property to his brother, and was reduced to the necessity of dealing in mules for the support of his rank, for which reason he was commonly called the muleteer. He is said, likewise, to have been convicted of extorting from a young man of fashion two hundred thousand sesterces for procuring him the broad stripe, contrary to the wishes of his father, 
and was severely reprimanded for it. While in attendance upon Nero in Achaia, he frequently withdrew from the theatre while Nero was singing, and went to sleep if he remained, which gave so much offence that he was not only excluded from his society, but debarred the liberty of saluting him in public. Upon this he retired to a small out-of-the-way town, where he lay skulking in constant fear of his life, until a province, with an army, was offered him. A firm persuasion had long prevailed through all the East that it was fated for the empire of the world, at that time, to devolve on some who should go forth from Judea. This prediction referred to a Roman emperor, as the event showed, but the Jews, applying it to themselves, broke out into rebellion, and having defeated and slain their governor, routed the lieutenant of Syria, a man of consular rank, who was advancing to his assistance, and took an eagle, the standard of one of his legions. As the suppression of this revolt appeared to require a stronger force, and an active general who might safely be trusted in an affair of so much importance, Vespasian was chosen in preference to all others, both for his known activity, and on account of the obscurity of his origin and name, being a person of whom there could not be the least jealousy. Two legions, therefore, eight squadrons of horse, and ten cohorts, being added to the former troops in Judea, and taking with him his eldest son as lieutenant, as soon as he arrived in his province, he turned the eyes of the neighbouring provinces upon him, by reforming immediately the discipline of the camp, and engaging the enemy once or twice with such resolution, that, in the attack of a castle, he had his knee hurt by the stroke of a stone, and received several arrows in his shield. After the deaths of Nero and Galba, whilst Otho and Vitellius were contending for the sovereignty, he entertained hopes of obtaining the empire, with the prospect of which he had long before flattered himself from the following omens. Upon an estate belonging to the Flavian family, in the neighbourhood of Rome, there was an old oak, sacred to Mars, which, at the several deliveries of Vespasia, put out each time a new branch, evident imitations of the future fortune of each child. The first was but a slender one, which quickly withered away, and accordingly the girl that was born did not live long. The second became vigorous, which portended great good fortune. But the third grew like a tree. His father, Sabinus, encouraged by these omens, which were confirmed by the augurs, told his mother that her grandson would be the emperor of Rome, at which she laughed heartily, wondering, she said, that her son should be in his dotage, whilst she continued still in full possession of her faculties. Afterwards in his aedileship, when Caius Caesar, being enraged at his not taking care to have the streets kept clean, ordered the soldiers to fill the bosom of his gown with dirt, some persons at that time construed it into a sign that the government, being trampled underfoot and deserted in some civil commotion, would fall under his protection, and as it were, into his lap. Once, while he was at dinner, a strange dog, that wandered about the streets, brought a man's hand, and laid it under the table. And another time, while he was at supper, a plough-ox, throwing the yoke off his neck, broke into the room, and after he had frightened away all the attendants, on a sudden, as if he was tired, fell down at his feet, as he lay still upon his couch, and hung down his neck. A cypress-tree, likewise, in a field belonging to the family, was torn up by the roots, and laid flat upon the ground, 
when there was no violent wind. But next day it rose again fresher and stronger than before. He dreamt in Achaia that the good fortune of himself and his family would begin when Nero had a tooth drawn, and it happened that the day after, a surgeon coming into the hall showed him a tooth which he had just extracted from Nero. In Judea, upon his consulting the oracle of the divinity at Carmel, the answer was so encouraging as to assure him of success in anything he projected, however great or important it might be. And when Josephus, one of the noble prisoners, was put in chains, he confidently affirmed that he should be released in a very short time by the same Vespasian, but he would be emperor first. Some omens were likewise mentioned in the news from Rome, and among others that Nero, towards the close of his days, was commanded in a dream to carry Jupiter's sacred chariot out of the sanctuary where it stood to Vespasian's house, and conduct it thence into the circus. Also, not long afterwards, as Galba was going to the election, in which he was created consul for the second time, a statue of the divine Julius turned towards the east, and in the field of Bedriacum, before the battle began, two eagles engaged in the sight of the army, and one of them being beaten, a third came from the east, and drove away the conqueror. He made, however, no attempt upon the sovereignty, though his friends were very ready to support him, and even pressed him to the enterprise, until he was encouraged to it by the fortuitous aid of persons unknown to him and at a distance. Two thousand men, drawn out of the three legions in the Moissian army, had been sent to the assistance of Otho. While they were upon their march, news came that he had been defeated, and had put an end to his life, notwithstanding which they continued their march as far as Aquileia, pretending that they gave no credit to the report. There, tempted by the opportunity which the disorder of the times afforded them, they ravaged and plundered the country at discretion, until at length, fearing to be called to an account on their return, and punished for it, they resolved upon choosing and creating an emperor. For they were no ways inferior, they said, to the army which made Galba emperor, nor to the praetorian troops which had set up Otho, nor the army in Germany to whom Vitellius owed his elevation. The names of all the consular lieutenants, therefore, being taken into consideration, and one objecting to one, and another to another, for various reasons, at last some of the third legion, which a little before Nero's death had been removed out of Syria into Moesia, extolled Vespasian in high terms, and all the rest assenting, his name was immediately inscribed on their standards. The design was nevertheless quashed for a time, the troops being brought to submit to Vitellius a little longer. However, the fact becoming known, Tiberius Alexander, governor of Egypt, first obliged the legions under his command to swear obedience to Vespasian as their emperor on the Calends, the first of July, which was observed ever after as the day of his accession to the empire, and upon the fifth of the Ides of the same month, the army in Judea, where he then was, also swore allegiance to him. What contributed greatly to forward the affair was a copy of a letter, whether real or counterfeit, which was circulated, and said to have been written by Otho before his decease to Vespasian, recommending to him in the most urgent terms to avenge his death, and entreating him to come to the aid of the commonwealth, as well as a report which was circulated, 
that Vitellius, after his success against Otho, proposed to change the winter quarters of the legions, and remove those in Germany to a less hazardous station and a warmer climate. Moreover, amongst the governors of provinces, Licinius Mucianus, dropping the grudge arising from the jealousy of which he had hitherto made no secret, promised to join him with the Syrian army, and among the allied kings Volugesus, king of the Parthians, offered him a reinforcement of forty thousand archers. Having therefore entered on a civil war, and sent forward his generals and forces into Italy, he himself in the meantime passed over to Alexandria to obtain possession of the key of Egypt. Here, having entered alone, without attendance, the temple of Serapis, to take the auspices respecting the establishment of his power, and having done his utmost to propitiate the deity, upon turning round, his freedman Basilides appeared before him, and seemed to offer him the sacred leaves, chaplets, and cakes, according to the usage of the place. Although no one had admitted him, and he had long laboured under a muscular debility which would hardly have allowed him to walk into the temple, besides which it was certain that at the very time he was far away. Immediately after this arrived letters with intelligence that Vitellius's troops had been defeated at Cremona, and he himself slain at Rome. Vespasian, the new emperor, having been raised unexpectedly from a low estate, wanted something which might clothe him with divine majesty and authority. This likewise was now added. A poor man who was blind, and another who was lame, came both together before him, when he was seated on the tribunal, imploring him to heal them, and saying that they were admonished in a dream by the god Serapis to seek his aid, who assured them that he would restore sight to the one by anointing his eyes with his spittle, and give strength to the leg of the other, if he vouchsafed but to touch it with his heel. At first he could scarcely believe that the thing would anyhow succeed, and therefore hesitated to venture on making the experiment. At length, however, by the advice of his friends, he made the attempt publicly, in the presence of the assembled multitudes, and it was crowned with success in both cases. About the same time, at Tegea in Arcadia, by the direction of some soothsayers, several vessels of ancient workmanship were dug out of a consecrated place, on which there was an effigy resembling Vespasian. End of Vespasian, Part 1